Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Book Club, where our members get to discuss the book they're reading with the author themselves. My name's Gary Quinn, and this month we've been reading The Closet of Savage Mementos by Nuala Nikrahur. We're delighted to have Nuala here in the studio with us. Nuala, you're very, very welcome. Thank you very much. We're also joined by two book club readers who haven't read your work before. We have Philip Watt, who in real life is CEO of Cystic Fibrosis Ireland, and Emer Sugru, who recently joined us here as a journalist in the Irish Times. I love this book, Nuala. I really enjoyed it. And I really believed in the characters. I really believed in everything that was happening in it. It's autobiographical in many ways. Is it fair to ask you where the where the fact begins, facts and fictions meld or change? Yeah. Like Lillis, the main character in the book, I went to Scotland as a 20-ish year old um, to work in a hotel in the Highlands. And I ended up getting pregnant by an older man, similar to the character in the book. Um, I made a different decision about what to do with my baby than the character in the book makes. So I decided I was going to keep the baby and bring it up. Lillis in the book makes a different decision. She decides to give the child up for adoption. So in a way, writing the book was a way for me to explore something that I didn't do um, and maybe to figure out the reasons why I did do what I did, you know. And did it, did it take you to, to, to storylines or places that you didn't expect? It did. Um, Lillis has a brother, Robin, in the novel who's gay and he betrays her Um so that was entirely fictional. The thing about Lillis is I had written 10 short stories about her already, 10 linked short stories, and I really enjoyed her as a character. Um, she's quite melancholic and inward looking. Uh, she's quite sincere as a person. She's a version of me. Um, and I really just enjoyed her voice and writing about her. And so I decided quite consciously to write a novel about Lillis, but to look at two periods in her life rather than the 10 periods which I'd looked at in the stories. And Philip, I can ask you, what was, what's your first impressions of the book? I absolutely loved it. And um, I, I'm kind of used to reading biographies and histories. And I've only recently got back in the novels and um, I couldn't put this down. I read it over about two and a half days, which is always a good sign of me really liking a book, you know. I think um, you'd be slightly younger than me, um, Nula, but, um, you know, I think everybody, a lot of people of, I suppose, my generation can relate to that period of time in the 80s and 90s when um, Dublin was grey or Belfast was grey and we needed to escape and to find adventures in other places and so on, you know, and I was really struck by the vulnerability of Lilith, you know, she was escaping Dublin and, and the grief of losing Donal and so on, and seeking adventure in this small Scottish town. But, you know, she was obviously vulnerable, and I couldn't make up my mind about this guy Struan, you know, and I like, I would be interested in your views on him. Um, um, you know, at one level, he was, you know, a very interesting guy and very funny and loving person. But at the same time, you kind of, you keep hearing these stories of him kind of going out with the waitresses who worked in his inn. And and there was a, a kind of a sense that, uh, you know, the, the whole relationship with Lillis was not going to end well, you know, right right from the start. Um, um, so I just got interested in how, did you find that um, relationship um, difficult to write so as part of the book? Uh, no, I didn't. I um like all the characters that you write, I'm fond of Struan, but he is a dishonest kind of a character. Mm. And if you any, ever go to any of these sort of towns where tourism is the main 
stay. A lot of the local people look at the new crop of seasonal workers coming in and start picking off who it is they're going to go out with. And so they actually have their pick of all these fabulous women from all over the world a lot of the time. So this do, it does reflect a reality. Struan to me is one of those Peter Pan characters. He kind of he's in his early 50s, but he hasn't actually grown up yet. And he's the type of person who takes what he takes what he can from everyone he meets. And Lilith is just I don't want to say a victim. That's ridiculous because they actually did have quite a, you know, a good passion. But there was a certain point beyond where the relationship was not going to move any further. So in terms of a long term thing, that was never going to happen. Of course, she's 21. She doesn't realize that. But he knows it fine well, you know. Um, so, yeah, an interesting character. But he wouldn't be interesting if there wasn't something hateful about him. And Imer, you're luckily the youngest of the group here in the room today in the studio. Um what was your take on that relationship? Because I was looking back on it. I, I think we're a similar age. Nula, um, how was it? How was that for you? I don't know. It was interesting because I think there's a different experience looking back at being 21 from an older age. I'm 25, so 21 really doesn't seem that long ago to me. Um, and so I think I was putting myself in the place of Lilith Moore, uh, thinking would I have made those decisions? four years ago. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think it came from a different place. And I was wondering if it was aimed more at people looking back from, you know, being a you know grown up, looking back at your kind of youth. In a sense, it could be read like that. I think when you sit down to write something, you don't ever think about who's going to read it. You're writing it for, you know, whatever reasons. This would have been slightly a cathartic novel for me to write because it dealt with a big, the big life changing thing that happened to me, you know. Um, the age gap between them is important, um, but not, you know, it's, it's, it was to show up sort of how generations are different. He's the same age as her mother, um, but her mother was quite a bohemian woman. She was an artist and came through the 50s and 60s, um, maybe differently to a lot of the younger married women in Ireland. Um, and then Lilith herself is looking at her mother and her lack of mothering skills and thinking, I don't want to be that person. Um, but I think as well, one of the main points about the novel is that as late as the 1990s in Ireland, girls were being forced to give up their children for adoption um, and possibly even later than that. But in my experience, you know, a lot of my friends were a similar situation happened to them, but they took different decisions. So they either took the boat to England or they gave babies up for adoption. So I was kind of the mad one who decided to keep mine and, and raise it myself. And you're you're looking at your own decisions in life, and you're looking at the characters' decisions, and and trying to figure out what what is the, what are the differences here, and how do I express them fictionally? You know. Right. And Lilith's mother in the book, very very strong character, an anchor in every way. Is she um, is is that based on 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 your own mother or no? Uh, my mother is not a narcissistic <laughs> drunk. Well, I, thought, <laughs> I should yeah. point that out. My mother doesn't even drink at all, so um, I have a habit of writing about alcoholic mothers. I'm not sure where it comes from, um, but again, Verity is another version of myself. You know, she's this kind of. Um, I think any artist would confess to being narcissistic and inward looking and maybe not the most hands-on types of mothers. We tend to want to be alone with our creative practice, whatever it is. Um, and our kids are sort of shoved to one side, like, don't bother mommy, she's writing now kind of stuff. So uh, Verity is like that. She's She wasn't cut out to be a mother 
became a mother to her two children, probably by accident because contraception and all of that sort of stuff that wasn't legal in Ireland um, in the 70s. So she's just one of those women who probably should not ever have had children. She just doesn't cope well with with being a mother. Um, at the same time, I have great love for her because she is the creative sort of person in the book. But... Um, She's a difficult character, all right, and her alcoholism gets the better of her over and over, and she's she's in denial about mm-hmm. it, but has to face it as well. I, I grew fonder of her as the book went on, and, and you know, I was a little bit startled at the beginning. I thought, oh, what, that must be a, a very difficult relationship. And then as I grew to like her more and more, I was surprised at myself, you know, and I, or something. What was it like for you, very Philip? Much. So at the end of the book in particular, you know, I think it was deeply admirable her, that the, she would often hurl insults at Lilith, but the one thing she knew would hurt her most, which is, you know, the fact that she knew about her child in Scotland, she never used. And, you know, that really kind Kind of, you know, she really went up in my estimation in terms of that, you know. So there was obviously a deep love for her daughter, even though they had these awful arguments. But no matter how hard it got, she never used that against her, you know. So, and yet, uh, what kind of a woman doesn't bring that up, you yes. know, for 20 years? What kind of a mother doesn't say, look, I know you've been through this terrible pain. Let's get you help or something, you know. Yeah, but I thought that she did it for the right reasons. It was uh, it was because she knew there was so much hurt there, you know. So um, you're right. Um, it's difficult to think of a mother who wouldn't have raised it. Uh, but um, no, I, I really uh, enjoyed Verity and uh, I particularly liked her, uh, the, the humour in terms of her art as well, the taxi artist, yeah. yes, uh, yeah. where she kind of... If I'm, if I'm right, she turned roadkill into kind of little people, like a pigeon was converted and dead pigeon was uh-huh. converted into a character, you know. Absolutely, and uh, yeah. I just hope that that type of artistry doesn't exist in reality. It does. Oh, it, it does. does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did, where did you get that from, if you don't mind um, me asking? There is then? a couple of quite well-known artists okay. who do that, um, and I'm very interested in that. Oh, really? You know, okay. just a, as a visual thing. I'm quite yeah. into visual art. But, um, yeah, that was kind of fun to make her you know, the sort of queen of anthropomorphic taxidermy in Ireland, you know. Um, it was just mad enough for her. Yeah. She's, she's quite mad, but I think her um, her mothering style, the kind of benign neglect, which was her forte, was brought to its, you know, top level when she didn't ever say to Lilith, look, I think I know what happened to you in Scotland, mm. you know. I, th- I think that was a devastating thing for a mother not to. I, th- I find it very interesting that you think it was actually a kindness. I would say with with Verity, it was just more evidence of her neglect. But from my point of view, but that doesn't mean that that's what yeah. it, you know. Because I read it as a kindness too. I read it as a, <coughs> a, a, a really hard, gentle thing that she did. Hmm. Um, and I was kind of glad that she did. How did you feel about it, Emer? Um Well, I thought one thing that united all the characters in the book was their lack of dealing with their feelings and emotions and any sort of everything was shut down nothing's ever spoken about with Robin and Strew and everything is just pushed under the table do you think that's a particularly Irish trait or is it just this family I would say it's very Irish yeah very (laughs) Irish and you know has sort of aspects of my own experience in it um you know whereby emotion is not allowed like she says at some point that her father Anthony doesn't like it when women cry and he just basically shuts down when that happens mm-hmm. so yeah you're right that is one thing even when when Lilith came home and she and Robin her brother maintained a good friendship you know a distant friendship sort of but you know close enough they'd hang around together 
but it wasn't brought up, which seems utterly ridiculous. Yeah, that really struck me. 20 years and they never yeah. talked about well, it. Well, she, she would mention Struan every so often, but he wouldn't bite, you know. Yeah. Because to him it didn't matter. It yeah. just didn't matter. Whereas to her it mattered hugely because it was all tied up with the business of being pregnant and mm. having that baby on her own, Yeah, you know. Uh, one thing I wondered at the end, did she ever tell her new husband? Yes, she did. Yeah, I yeah. wasn't sure at the end because Verity kind of told her not to. <laughs> yeah, no, she did. I think Cormac in the book represents stability and uh, all that's good and all that can be good about a good man mm. um, and a good person to have a relationship with. He's also obviously a version of Donal because Donal yeah. was his brother and Donal died. And you're, you're almost getting to see Donal grow into a good man right. represented by Cormac um, and... Uh, yeah, he he represents sort of... Because, you know, maybe the men in the book don't come off too well. The women don't either. So Donald represents something very, very good. Not Donald, sorry, Cormac. So she would have... Yeah, I mean, when she... At the end where she goes home and she says, now I'm going to be a mother to this child the way I, the way I can be. You know, the implication is that her life is going to open out and um, her son will be brought back into their lives, etc., etc. Okay. What about um, the locations then? Because I don't know Scotland at all. I've passed through in the bus as much as I've done. And Philip, do you know Scotland well? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. yeah. Mostly Maybe, Edinburgh yeah. and Glasgow, but a little bit of the Highlands. Yeah, because yeah. I have a great picture of it now, but also I have a great picture of Dublin. Was it hard to write Dublin? No, I don't think so. I went to school in the city centre as a child, so I, and then I went to college in the city centre as well. So I spent from the age of four to the age of 22 in and around the city centre. And so I know it, I feel I know it quite well and love it, really love it. And so it's never hard to write about somewhere that you're deeply familiar with and that you have a passion for. Similarly, the Highlands, um, in, in my writing in general, landscape is important to me. I think setting is absolutely crucial and I have creative writing students in NUI Galway and I'm always emphasising to them the importance of setting, that it holds the whole thing together and it anchors the reader to the page and that it's important to describe it. And you have that freedom in the novel. Unlike in the short story, you cannot spend a lot of time describing the scene. In the novel, there is room for that. And so I tend to let loose with almost purpley prose to describe the scenery because it's important to me. And also, in a sense, the scenery matches what's happening so when, when Lillis is feeling overwhelmed by things, there's those huge Scottish mountains around her and stuff like that. I like that. I like that. I like for setting to evoke atmosphere. And I'm, I, you know, I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed those bits and that they felt seamless. Yeah. I enjoyed that too. And actually it reminded me of way back, I'm um, reading Thomas Hardy and, um, you know, that relationship between scene and change of scene and the weather and so on. And, you know, you just knew that something was going to happen, you know, that that, that really evoked a, a lot of good memories for me. But also your use of mementos in the, in the book as well, I thought was very interesting. And I wondered where the inspiration for that came from, uh, you know, seashells and so on. Was, was that, uh, I'm a total things person. Oh, yeah, I'm an objects okay, person, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So even when I'm writing the book, any book or any, well, mostly novels, I will have things like touchstones around me. Really? Okay. So the paperweight, which ends up having significance in the plot. Um, I had literally just written the scene where she's talking about Struan's paperweights mm. and I went to my local charity shop to buy things and there was a paperweight which seemed to hold the sea at the at its core, which is exactly what it was in the book. And so those 
beautiful synchronicitous things can happen when you're writing whereby you write something and then you find something that links in and so I tend to use them almost like talismans so when I was writing my latest the novel that's coming out next year about Emily Dickinson I had pictures of Emily around me and you know different scenes from her home and stuff like that and then when I went to Amherst I bought things and brought them back similarly when I went to Ullapool to do final research for the Closet of Savage Mementos I went and did some beach combing and brought shells back so when I was doing my final final few pages of the book and the final edit on the book I had these things from the place in front of me I find that really helpful really grounding or something and um, maybe even it has something slightly to do with superstition and yeah I, I thought it was a spiritual or a mystical yeah. quality to some of the things like the paperweights and the seashells and so on yes yeah. and, and the Virgin Mary appears in the book <laughs> she's in the book in statue form and, yeah. and it becomes significant it's like Lilith doesn't have religion she wasn't brought up with you know regular mass or anything like that but the Virgin Mary loomed so large in her childhood in school and things like that that she goes to her to look for succor and help when she needs it, you know. And it's, again, that thing about objects and uh, spirituality. And was there anything you might have caught your eye in the objects and the, the, the talismans in the book? I, just, I thought it was a good kind of linking the different elements. Um, uh, do you use that in your short stories, kind of link through the different stories as well? or? I. I can do. Um, I find it more with novels because it takes me about a year usually to write a first draft of a novel. And so it's a sort of a long haul. You're really deep into the thing. And so I'm writing my fourth novel at the moment and it's about, it's set in London and it's about a dance hall girl. So I have bought um, newspapers from the time with pictures of her in it and I have them in frames on my desk so that I can look at her and if I come to a pause in the writing, I sort of look at her almost as if she's going to tell me something, you know. But it, it's a sort of a, a strength in it or something, having things around you. Um, this particular dance hall girl wore a gold um, heart on a chain, which I can see in a lot of the pictures. She seems to wear it a lot. Um, and so I've bought myself a gold heart on a chain for Christmas and I'm going to wear it as I continue writing the book. You know, it's it sounds kind of nutty maybe when I say it like that, but... Um, somehow for me it helps I don't know yeah it's almost like having a part of them and you become in, insanely attached to these people real and imagined that you write about you just you start to think of them almost as um, people that you know and mm. you care for them is it hard to stop writing about them when I have finished usually I, I'm quite bereft for a couple of weeks um, you know quite cranky and anchorless and then I will start in on a new project and I'm sort of, I'm at the scary stage. <laughs> the starting out bit is always scary. Well, all of it is kind of scary, but um, starting out where you really don't know what you're doing. And you got the uh, name of the book as an adaption from a poem um, from uh, called Advice to Myself by the American writer Louise um, Edrich. Or Erdrich, Erdrich, yeah. yeah. Um, is she a special poet to you and did it influence any other part of the book as well? Well, um, Medicine Woman is one of her famous mm. novels and I read that as a teenager. My father is very into um, Native American culture and he introduced me to her writing as a teenager and I just thought she was wonderful. But the the title of the book originally was Highland, but myself and my then 
editor at New Island. I say then because he's moved on now, own parcel, and I discussed Highland and we thought it doesn't speak to enough of the book. It only speaks to the landscape. So we brainstormed a whole lot of titles and I was using Louise's, Louise Erdrich's quote from that poem as an epigraph to the book. Anyway, it's your heart, that place you don't even think of cleaning out, that closet stuffed with savage mementos. And I said to Owen, what if we take that and twist it a tiny bit? But of course, we needed to get permission to do that. And we did. It took quite a while. But there was a lovely Irish-American man in Louise Erdrich's publishers and he he kept on the ball with it. So he'd spent about six months trying very hard to get this permission and, and we got it in the end. Um, and I think it's I think it speaks to because Lillis's heart is basically stuffed with secrets yeah. and the mementos obviously is um, you know, it's partly what she's left behind in Scotland, but it's also to do with all those other talismans that we were talking about. So we thought it was um, nice and encompassing as a title. I think there was one reviewer who just thought it was ridiculous, but really? <laughs> really? <laughs> there'll always be one yeah. that doesn't like it. Yeah, I thought it was a beautiful title. And, and, and this idea that, because of course, you know, you're always looking for yourself in books and the idea that we all, we're all stuffed with all these secrets and mm. things that we hold on to that we don't actually talk to people about and whatever. Well, um, well, it made me Google the poet and I thought, well, I really? must cuddle, try and find some of her writings, <laughs> you know, that's good, isn't it? as yeah. well. The other thing that struck me about the book is the, the diversity of families in it, you know, um, how the Irish family has changed, especially in recent years. And, you know, that concept of having, you know, mother and father and three, four, five children is, is you know, it's still there, but it's it's changing rapidly. And was, that, was that a conscious decision to reflect um, the diversity of families in Ireland now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do remember even as a child that people who were separated were sort of looked at askance, you know what I mean, which really annoys me, you know, Um so, yeah, I wanted to represent different kinds of families. So the Spains, Cormac and Donald's family represent a very solid sort of normal, ordinary Irish family. And then the Urells, Lillis's own family, represent a fragmented family. And then her father has a new family with his new wife, you know. And I think we acted for a long time like this stuff didn't go on or wasn't quite, you know, allowable or proper. And it's just to shine a light on that families can be you know, of all different stripes and, and should be talked about, you know. It's amazing what readers will tell you after they have read the book. I did a reading in Glasgow from the book in September and a woman came up to me after the reading and she said um, she had worked in the same hotel as me and she had gotten pregnant also by an older man and she said, I'm just stunned, like, that you could have been standing there telling my story with your wow. novel, you know. Um Another woman, uh, Lillis's granny, her, so um, Verity's mother it was King, her maiden name was King, and a woman wrote to me to say that when she saw the name King, it sparked something in her memory and it sent her off looking into her own, she had been adopted, and it sent her off looking for her own people. So it's amazing the things that you're innocently writing a fiction. Mm-hmm. But there's resonances in it for people that you you can't possibly be aware of. Yeah. But when people tell you about them, it just makes you feel like it was worth doing. I'm not sure I'd write something so autobiographical again and admit to it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to finish up then, can you tell us a little bit about what's uh, going to hit the bookshelves next year, which is your next book? 
It's called Miss Emily and it's about Emily Dickinson and her Irish maid. So it's set mostly in Amherston, Massachusetts, and it's partially set in um, Tipperary near Fethard and in Dublin a little bit as well. Um, it's a book about friendship. It's about the mistress-servant relationship. Um, incredibly enjoyable to research and write. Um, I love Emily Dickinson's poetry. I have since I studied it at school. I think we started reading her poems in primary school because I remember acting them out with my sister, you know. A bird came down the walk. <laughs> um, so I've always loved her poems. And then I heard that she loved to bake. And I love to bake. And so I started baking her recipes, her coconut cake and her gingerbread. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be fabulous if she had had an Irish maid? And it turned out she'd had had several Irish maids. Really? So I invented a different Irish maid, though. When you're working with one... F- character who existed in reality it's much easier then to work with another one who's entirely invented makes it easier to sustain the fiction so it's a dual narrative one chapter is Emily the next is Ada Emily Ada all the way through so that comes out in July in the US and Canada with Penguin and it comes out in the UK and Ireland in August with uh, another publisher who I'm not letting name yet but um, all very happy it's very exciting it is very exciting and Penguin have been a joy to work with. Um, on that note, we've run out of time. I'd like to thank our readers, Emer Sugar and Philip Watt, and of course our special guest, Nula Nikrahur. The Closet of Savage Mementos is published by New Island. And if you're not a member yet of our book club, please go to irishtimes.com forward slash books, where you can sign up for free and keep up to date with all things books. Until next time, sign today has been by JJ Vernon. I'm Gary Quinn, and we'll see you next time on the Irish Times Book Club. <laughs>